you are receiving this transmission, you are reclaiming the faith with Phil Baker on the Fourth Watch Radio Network. Network. Welcome to episode 61 of Reclaiming the Faith, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. I'm your host, Phil Baker. Now, let's dig into history. Hey, y'all, thank you so much for taking time to listen to this episode of Reclaiming the Faith. Thank you for praying for me and my podcasting partners, BDK and Justin Fall of the Fourth Watch Radio Network. We appreciate it so much. Thank you for praying for my family as well. Before I get into the show notes and a little description of episode 60, I want to give you a preview of the first song off my upcoming uh, LP album, and this is called Be Still My Soul. So that was track one off my upcoming album, The Wanderer. And that track is called Be Still My Soul, and it should be out hopefully by the beginning of the year. Well, in episode 61, I'm diving into a topic that I've wanted to tackle for a long time, but just it just hadn't worked out that way. And so this is all about what happens to people when they die. But what I'm doing, I'm giving you an early Christian perspective on that because they they wrote quite extensively on this subject. Whether you want to adopt these, these um, beliefs on the afterlife or not, that's up to you. But this is what the earliest Christians believed about life after death. So I'm going to be giving you a lot of early Christian quotes, and I'm also going to be using a lot of scriptures that back up what they are saying. So this is going to be part one, and in part two, I'm going to deal with some objections to their beliefs and uh, how Scripture kind of reconciles that. Well, if you're blessed by this episode, I really want to encourage you to go to iTunes and leave a positive review on my channel, Reclaiming the Faith. That way, other people can find this channel, and hopefully it can be a blessing to them as well. Also, 
in 2016, I wrote a book called New Wineskins and the Simple Words of Christ. And you can find a copy of that on Amazon, whether it's hard uh, paperback or uh, Kindle version, it's there. And if it's been a blessing to you, I want to encourage you to also please leave a rating and review there. But that book, uh, all my music, the podcast, the blog I used to write, all that stuff can be found at philsbaker.com. And I want to encourage you to go there. You can also find a link to my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash philsbaker. And if you join that, if you become a member of giving $5 or more a month, you're going to get a video of me describing and explaining an early Christian document or an early Christian writer every month. And you'll also get a video of an acoustic version of one of my original songs there. I really want to encourage you to take that step if this episode has been a blessing to you as well. Well, like I said, I'm blessed to be a part of Justin Fall's Fourth Watch Radio Network, along with BDK of Omega Frequency, who I do a monthly Q&A show with called Ready With An Answer. And if you have a question about anything that's said on this channel or on Omega Frequency or the Fourth Watch, I really want to encourage you to write in. You can email me or you can email uh, BDK, and we will answer those questions on that show Ready With An Answer. Well, lastly, the early Christian quotes that I use can generally be found on the CD-ROM version of the Anti-Nicene Fathers, which you can buy for a mere $5 on the Scroll Publishing website, scrollpublishing.com. Okay, well, without any further ado, let's go ahead and get episode 61 rolling. When I first began researching the early Christian writings, a lot of what they wrote sounded quite strange to me. And the issue of the afterlife is one of those areas. As a child, I was brought up in the Southern Baptist Church, and the afterlife was presented in a very simplistic way. Basically, if you believed in Jesus when you died, you went to heaven. And if you didn't believe in Jesus when you died, you went to hell, the lake of fire. That's, that's it. It is very simplistic and without any nuance. Well, the early Christians kept it very simple, too. They just stuck with what they read in Scripture. However, because they were being very careful about the Scripture, uh, it was much more nuanced. Their belief was much more nuanced than what I was taught. This is a basic synopsis of what the early Christians believed, Okay. When we die, we go to the realm of the dead. If you're a follower of Jesus, or in the Old Testament times, like if you were a, a believer in the one true God and you're faithful to him, you went to the upper portion of Hades. See, Hades was broken into basically three compartments, upper Hades, lower Hades, and then the lowest part of Hades, which would be considered Tartarus, as you can read about in 2 Peter chapter 2. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you go to upper Hades, and this realm is, is called either paradise or Abraham's bosom. And this is absolutely a heavenly place. In some way, you are with Jesus, but it's not heaven. Heavenly, but not strictly heaven. All right, now lower Hades is where people who rejected the one true God, and in the New Testament rejected Jesus where they go. 
But this is not hell, though it's very hellish. It's not the lake of fire, but it is a place of torment, sometimes uh, described as like outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. At the return of Christ, Jesus' second coming, um, followers of Jesus are raised, the believers, true believers in, in God are raised, and they're transformed. Their bodies are transformed to be like Christ. Basically, corruption puts on incorruption. Mortality puts on immortality. And we reign with Christ a thousand years in the New Jerusalem and, uh, and then beyond into eternity. Now, after the thousand years, the rest of the dead are raised, and those whose names are not found in the book of life are thrown into the lake of fire, where the beast, false prophet, and Satan have been thrown. All right? So that is hell. That's when hell happens, the lake of fire. All right, now there was like a lot of confusion that began to develop with this tradition when the King James Bible was written. I think it's a great translation, but the King James translated the words Hades, hell, and Tartarus all as hell. And so what I want to do first is explain the differences in these places biblically, and then look at what the early Christians wrote. And we'll also describe um, the good place that Christians will go. We'll look at the upper Hades portion as we do this. So remember, this is what the early Christians believed, and these are some of the passages that they used to support their beliefs, okay? So let's look at the word hell first, okay? Starting with Jesus' words in Mark chapter 9, verse 43, he writes, If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands to go into hell, into the unquenchable fire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Okay, so he's making it very clear. The lake of fire, this unquenchable fire, this is hell. This is Gehenna. Okay, uh, you can see it also in Revelation chapter 19. This is speaking of uh, what happens in the last final battle of, of Jesus versus the beast and false prophet, battle of Armageddon, right? And so verse 19 of chapter 19, John writes, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to wage war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. All right, so those two people, or the beast and the false prophet, those are the first ones to be thrown into the lake of fire. They're the first two people to go to, strictly speaking, hell. And then Satan is in Revelation 20, and then the rest of them, uh, the rest of those who've rejected the one true God and rejected Jesus' son, are thrown in that lake of fire to those whose names are not written in the book of life. Okay, so that's the term hell. Now let's get into Hades. All right, in Acts chapter 2, Peter discusses this realm of the dead in his address at Pentecost. So we'll start in verse 22 
And you can hear the gospel in this. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourself know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue exulted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this, this which you both see and hear. Okay, so this is the realm of the dead. This is not hell. This is not the lake of fire. Jesus did not go into the lake of fire when he died. He did not go to Gehenna. He went into the realm of the dead, Hades. In fact, Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise to the other insurrectionist that professed his faith in Jesus on the cross in Luke 23. Paradise being what was thought of as upper Hades, uh, synonymous with Abraham's bosom. And we will get into that in a little bit. But to start to break down uh, from a biblical perspective, uh, the compartments of Hades, that there's three compartments, upper, lower, and the lowest in Tartarus. Let's start at Deuteronomy 32. All right, now, uh, the Lord writes, They have made me jealous with what is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. For a fire is kindled in my anger, and, a, and it burns to the lowest part of Sheol. Sheol is the Hebrew version of the Greek word Hades. It's the realm of the dead. And here in Deuteronomy 32, 22, God says that there is a lowest part of Hades, of Sheol. What is that lowest part? Well, like we've said, it's called Tartarus. Tartarus. And uh, you're not going to really see this translated as Tartarus, which is a Greek word in very many Bibles, but you can see it in the Berean literal Bible. And this is a cool Bible because it often gives the literal names of places where they're um, chained 
changed uh, for readability's sake in other translations. So this is the Berean literal Bible in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Peter writes, For if God did not spare the angels having sinned, but cast them down to Tartarus in chains of gloomy darkness. So, of course, this is a reference back to what happened in Genesis chapter 6 when the angels who were supposed to be watching out for humanity and being God's messengers decided to come down and corrupt the image of God by intermarrying with women, which produced giants, the Nephilim, uh, on the earth. All flesh was corrupted, as Genesis says, and so God sent the flood. And these angels, these original angels who rebelled against God, God has chained in the lowest realm of the dead called Tartarus. All right? Now, let's look at the two uh, compartments above the lowest portion, Tartarus. All right, so this will be like upper and lower Hades. To see a description of this, you can look at Luke chapter 16, the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. Jesus says, Now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things, but now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed, so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you may send to my father's house, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. And of course, we, just, we spoke about this earlier, this issue of paradise or Abraham's bosom, uh, the upper portion of Hades uh, in Luke 23. One of the crim- starting in verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at Jesus saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuked him saying, Do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? 
And indeed, we are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. All right. So the upper portion of Hades is a heavenly place. It's a great place, a place of rest, a place like that's paradise, something that's kind of like the Garden of Eden in a sense. It's incredible, but to the early Christians, it's not, strictly speaking, heaven. And the lower portion of Hades is terrible, a place of torment, a place of extreme agony, and you cannot get out of it. You can't cross over from lower Hades to upper Hades. You, no matter how sorry you feel, no matter how uh what kind of repentance you may try. Like, you cannot change places. There is no purgatory. Now, let's, um, let's go to the early Christians, starting with uh, Justin Martyr. This is around 160 A.D., and in this passage, he is talking about Gnostics. These are people who claim to be Christians but had some really messed up beliefs beliefs about Jesus, the soul, um, the body, you know, flesh is bad, spirit is good. They believed, uh, a lot of them like the Docetists, that um, because matter is evil, flesh is evil, that Jesus only appeared. He only seemed to be human, but he not he was not really, so therefore he couldn't have actually died on the cross because um, you can't really kill you know, Jesus himself. If he's really God, he couldn't have died. So, there, I mean, there are all these horrible, horrible beliefs, and you can see a lot about them in First uh, John. But um, so, so uh, Justin is addressing some of them, and he says this, For if you have fallen in with some who are called Christians, but who do not admit to this truth and venture to blaspheme the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, who say there is no resurrection of the dead and that their souls when they die are taken to heaven, do not imagine that they are Christians. Now, he's saying don't imagine that the Gnostics are Christians. He's not saying don't imagine those who believe that when you die, you go to heaven. Don't imagine that they're Christians. He's not saying that. But he is describing a Gnostic belief. It was the Gnostics who said that when we die, we are taken to heaven. This is a man that was um, very knowledgeable and had traveled around the known world researching Christianity and talking to leaders of the faith. And so he had come to the awareness that it wasn't the Christians who said that when we die, we go right to heaven. It was the Gnostics, okay? Let's look a little bit later in history. Uh, this is around the turn of the 3rd century, right around the year 200. And Tertullian, who's also an apologist like Justin Martyr, he is writing about the realms of, or the realm of the dead. And he writes this. There is some determinate place called Abraham's bosom, and it is designed for the reception of the souls of Abraham's children, even from among the Gentiles, since he is the father of many nations. Abraham's bosom, although it is not heaven, is higher than hell, 
and is appointed to afford an interval of rest to the souls of the righteous, until the consummation of all things shall complete the resurrection of all men with the full recompense of their reward. Abraham's bosom is meant as a temporary receptacle of faithful souls. All right, so it's definitely higher than hell, like a fire, but it's also different than uh, lower Hades. And you're going to see this difference explicitly stated by a man named Hippolytus. Now, Hippolytus was a disciple of Bishop of Lyon, Irenaeus, and Irenaeus was a disciple of Polycarp, who was the Bishop of Smyrna, and Polycarp was a disciple of the Apostle John. You see a lot of incredible writing from Hippolytus, which backs up so much of what John wrote. Hippolytus carries that faithful chain of custody, basically, back to the Apostle John and then to Jesus. And he gives just an explicit description of what happens to people when they die. And this is a long section, but it is incredible. It might be cool to close your eyes and listen to this because it is vivid. He writes, Now, we must speak of Hades, in which the souls both of the righteous and the unrighteous are detained. Hades is a place in the created system, rude, a locality beneath the earth, in which the light of the world does not shine. And since the sun does not shine in this place, there is necessarily perpetual darkness there. This place has been destined to be, as it were, a guardhouse for souls. The angels are stationed there as guards, distributing temporary punishments for characters according to each one's deeds. And in this locality, there is a certain place set apart by itself, a lake of unquenchable fire, into which we suppose no one has ever yet been cast. But the righteous who will obtain the incorruptible and unfading kingdom are indeed presently detained in Hades, but not in the same place with the unrighteous. For to this locality there is one descent, at the gate of which we believe an archangel is stationed with an army. And when those who are conducted by the angels who are appointed unto the souls have passed through this gate, they do not all proceed down one and the same path. Rather, the righteous are conducted in the light toward the right. And being hymned by the angels standing at the place, they are brought to a locality full of light. And there are all the righteous persons from the beginning dwelling. They are not ruled by any necessity. Rather, they perpetually enjoy the contemplation of the blessings that are in their view. Also, they delight themselves with the expectation of other blessings ever new. In fact, they consider the new blessings as ever better than the first ones. And that place brings no labors for them. In that locale, 
There are neither fierce heat nor cold nor thorns, but the faces of the fathers and the righteous are seen to always be smiling as they wait for the rest and eternal revival in heaven that follows this location. And we call this place by the name of Abraham's bosom. However, the unrighteous are dragged toward the left by angels who are ministers of punishment. These souls no longer go of their own accord. Rather, they are dragged as prisoners by force, and the angels appointed over them hurry them along, reproaching them and threatening them with an eye of terror, forcing them down into the lower parts. And when the souls are brought there, those appointed to that task drag them on to the vicinity of Gehenna. And those who are so near to Gehenna hear incessantly its agitation, and they feel the hot smoke. And when that vision is so near as they see the terrible and excessively glowing spectacle of the fire, they shudder in the horror at the expectation of future judgment, already feeling the power of their punishment. And again, when they see the place of the fathers and the righteous, they also suffer punishment merely from seeing this. For a deep and vast abyss is set there in the midst, so that neither can any of the righteous in sympathy think to cross, nor do any of the unrighteous dare to cross. So, Hippolytus says, when we die, you either go to the right or to the left. You either go to Abraham's bosom, or you go to a place of outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Abraham's bosom, it's incredible. It is so heavenly. The blessings just get better and better and better as you await the fulfillment of those blessings, the culmination of those blessings at the return of Jesus. There's no labors, there's no crying, there's no pain. It's incredible. And it's just a foretaste of what's to come. However, to the left, in what's considered like lower Hades, it's horrific. It's horrific physically because it's a place of extreme agony and torment. And it's also emotionally agonizing and horrific. First, because you can see Abraham's bosom. You can see upper Hades in a sense. You can see the blessings that those who chose to follow Christ received. So that's that psychological and emotional torment, but it's also psychologically and emotionally tormenting because you can see the lake of fire. You can see it coming. So how should we live in light of this? Well, as we wrap up part one, I want to direct you to a parable in Matthew chapter five. It's often called 
parable of the talents. And Jesus says this, There's a man who went on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately, the one who had received five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up to him and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed, and I was afraid. I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed? Then, if that's the case, you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him, and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to, for to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance but from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out that worthless slave into the outer darkness, into that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's interesting that the last slave claimed to know the master, and he claimed that the master was a bad master, that the master reaped where he didn't sow and gathered where he scattered no seed. He claimed that this master was unrighteous. He claimed that the master was a hypocrite. He claimed that the master was untrustworthy. And because he had this false belief, it led him to be unfaithful, to live a life of fear and unfaithfulness. And so he was judged by his own words. And his unfaithfulness led him 
to a place of outer darkness, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. But to those who truly knew the Master, who considered it a joy to serve the Master, they faithfully served the Master, and they were brought into the joy of their Master. A long time ago, uh, I think it was like in 2001 or 2002, I got a tattoo of a word, pistos. It's a Greek word for faithful. It's not so much about having faith, it's about being faithful. And I can brand that on my arm and I can call, I can call myself faithful and I can declare it, but am I? Am I really faithful? Am I really faithful to God? Man, I want to be. I want to be a good and faithful slave, doulos, bondservant of the King of Kings because no one has been more faithful than him. No one has been more loving than him. No one has been more gracious and merciful than Jesus. No one. No one is as faithful as Jesus. I want to be faithful to him. Even though there are things that I'll never understand while I'm still living here on earth. Even though there will be things in his scriptures that I just don't get. I can understand what he did for me on the cross. I can understand that he lived the life that I should have lived and he died the death that I should have died. And I can understand that he rose from the dead and defeated death. And he therefore gives us the opportunity to become adopted sons and daughters of his eternal family in his eternal kingdom. And I want you to know that and believe that too. And I want you to be a good and faithful servant of the King of Kings. Well, that's part one. And in part two, I'm going to be looking at some different objections to the early Christian teaching on this subject. God bless you. Forget your tenderness
I deserve 